In this episode, we talk about Less Annoying CRM's product hunt launch and a lot more. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. Tyler, where have you been for the last month and a half? I have been trying to fi- find my login for our podcast software, and I couldn't find it. No. Sorry, dear listeners, that we've been gone for so long. We uh, had to postpone the last one a couple times, and then it just made more sense to cancel it. So we're back. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Although you're about to have to take another break, aren't you? That's true. Yeah, I should probably look at the calendar and cancel or move stuff around. Um, although it might be kind of fun to do a half, uh, half-awake half podcast uh the reason tyler's referring to i have we've scheduled uh to have our baby the week of june 19th and uh so starting there now will be very unavailable that sounds like you ordered your baby on amazon like (laughs) (laughs) we did the pre-release uh (laughs) pre-ordered the baby we pre we pre-scheduled the baby so we're (laughs) we're we're currently uh shooting for a assuming uh everything goes as planned a june 20th birthday june 20th cool so uh, hopefully we'll be back on the every other week schedule at least for another episode or two and then uh, break and then back to normal again hopefully um all right i guess we should dive in huh a lot has happened in the last month i don't even remember the last time we talked so i can't even reference the last po- <laughs> podcast i think it was a month ago anyway uh yeah i guess i'll get us started here one of the things i said was coming up was we were going to launch i'm doing air quotes here launch um the redesign what we call 4.0 uh, of less annoying crm um, I say launch in air quotes because we have not like forced everyone over. Uh, we're giving users the ability to opt in. I think at this point, maybe 15, 20% of our users have. But the launch primarily meant two things. One, um, all new people who sign up are on the new version instead of the old version. Um, and that's a big deal because like all of our current customers obviously are perfectly happy or happy enough that they're paying us for the old version. They're not the main target. The main target with a redesign is new people. So. I don't really care how long the other people take to switch over, honestly. The other reason it's a launch is we we did a product hunt launch for the first time ever. Are you like familiar with product hunt and stuff? Well, I, I, I liked it for like I saw you post on LinkedIn for the first time in a year. Yeah. And so I had to like click the link and, and like it because well, that's you. like that's a big deal. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm familiar with it. But like, I, I'm curious like why you did that and what you're hoping to was it an experiment it was an experiment, although it's probably a bad experiment because like you can't do it again. Oh. Like the whole point is it's a launch. So maybe every time you do a major update, you can like relaunch, but uh, it's not something you can do regularly. So I'm not really I learned stuff. I'm going to share it momentarily, but I'm not really sure what to, what to do with any of these learnings because like I can't I can't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, what were you hoping yeah. to gain from this? Mostly visibility i guess um i i have more to actually you know what if maybe i can just be like that annoying podcast host that like teases a topic and say something else and then come back to this because i actually think i have a different topic that's going to lead into that really nicely go ahead go ahead so we have i think i've touched on this before but maybe haven't gone in depth on it that we have a new kind of growth hypothesis at less annoying serum in terms of how we're thinking about growth um and especially in terms of how we're thinking about the cost of customer acquisition do you know what I'm talking about? How much have I told you about this on the podcast before? I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast. Okay. Well, listener, if uh, 
if we have, and I'm boring you with repeat information, apologies. We haven't talked in a while. Uh, so yeah, basically, so let me give maybe more information that people care about, and this would be better if I could share visuals. But if you look at our growth curve from when we launched early 2020, uh, early 2010, what it looks like is kind of a chart that goes up and to the right, not like super acceleration or anything, just slow, steady growth until like 2019. There's some ups and downs, but pretty, pretty steady upward trend of our growth. So that's that means our position function, our actual number of paying users is slightly curving up because our growth is increasing over time. Um, then in 2019, it starts to go down and it tanks as of the bottom, like the first couple months of the pandemic. Those were the worst. Then it immediately shoots back up again. And then it immediately tanks again back down to basically where the bottom of 2020 was. And then we've been slowly creeping up since then. Uh, I share this only to say, if you've been listening to the podcast, about a year year and some odd months ago, I was like, we've got a growth problem. We're going to get serious about it. We're going to start working on it. You remember this happening? Oh, yeah. Um, it was right around the time we started the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so we did a lot of stuff. It seems like maybe it's kind of working, but I, I want to talk through a, a few things here. First of all, um, so the growth dropped and then came back up and then dropped again. And we were trying to figure out what to do. And what we did is we looked at the second drop because whatever the first drop was, who cares? It's over. We recovered from it and then it dropped again. So what matters is that second drop. Uh, first of all, turns out that probably I now think was stupid. I think what actually happened is the spike after the first drop was a complete anomaly. I think three things I, I could name exactly what they are, but I won't bore people. But like I can point to three specific things that went re really well in our favor during that time. And they pretty much account for the whole spike. So I think we dropped in 2019 and never came back from it. We just got lucky. And we were looking at the wrong problem this whole time. That is super fascinating. Okay. So what did you learn <laughs> when you examined the uh, first cohort of dropping? Yeah. So we haven't, we haven't had the bandwidth to like do kind of legit data analysis of this yet. So I'm really just going off my memory and like some kind of anecdotal stuff. But around the end of 2019, we decided to completely change our marketing strategy. And we were actually going to go after this travel agent niche. I don't know. I think I mentioned this on the podcast, maybe, or maybe that was when, when we were off. I don't remember. But mm -hmm. we basically were going to, we had this whole new campaign and all that. It never actually launched because we were going to go after travel agents and then the pandemic hit and travel agents are not the right business to target in the middle of a pandemic. So we never did it. But I was looking back and I was talking to people like, why were we going to do that? And the best we can come up with is uh, we had gotten, you know, we'd gotten better at measuring ROI and looking at like we had years of history on all these ad, cam ad channels. And we we're like, we're spending way too much money per customer that we get. Um, you know, we, we have to spend $300, $400, $500 to acquire a one paying user who will pay us $15 a month. And all the advice out there says like, you know, you want a 12 month or less payback period. We weren't anywhere close to that. So we basically looked at the numbers and we're like, none of our channels are working. Why are we wasting all this money? Let's stop putting money into that and find new things to try. We just have to try other stuff. That was the logic at the time. Any reactions to that before I move on? What, what I mean, did you act on that? Did you turn things down, turn things off? I think so. I don't. We didn't fully 100% turn things off, but um, yeah, we definitely like took our foot off the gas a little bit because again, it looked like it wasn't working. My best theory right now is that 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 was the mistake, and I have a lot more to say on this topic. But basically, 
if we were at at that time, I I don't know, we're at three point six or three point seven million ARR right now. We were at three point something, three point two, let's say back then. You don't build a three point two million dollar ARR business without ever having a marketing channel work. And yet we were sitting there thinking nothing we've ever done has worked. And we turned it all off. And then we started dropping our growth dropped. And so I my conclusion here, or at least my my hypothesis going forward, is something was working, or maybe all of it was working. We just didn't know what it was. And because we didn't we were missing that attribution, we turned stuff off that was actually helping us quite a bit, and that was the problem. Yeah, I, I like that. So what do you do with that? Well, I mean, obviously, it'd be nice to have attribution. Yeah, the problem is, so why, why wasn't our attrib- attribution working? I mean, we have tracking set up. We actually have a pretty sophisticated, because it's all homemade. It's not like trying to chain together Google Analytics and all these other things. It's like, if someone hits our site, like we store the cookie, we track it from sign up all the way to them paying. The problem, I think, is that the buying journey is too complicated. Someone you know, this is not a transactional purchase. Someone sees less running CRM on G2 and then six months later, they see an ad on Google AdWords. And then three months after that, they see that we won number one on US News and World Report. And like, how do you how do you attribute? What, the, the ultimate signup is they just Google less annoying CRM. We can't track where they came from. How do you attribute that? I mean, I guess you just, uh, well, cohort analysis uh, would be one. So if you knew that um, someone came to the website um, from an ad in, uh, six months ago and then, con- you know, converted six months later, you'd have a, an understanding of like that ad being important, even though it wasn't maybe important in the reporting period of the payment of, of where you spent money. If the cookie's still active, that's true. Um, most of the time, I think over six months, either you're on a new device or you cleared your cookies for one reason or another. It, I think it's hard to reliably track people over that period of time. Yeah. Um, I kind of think I I'd, I'd love if if you or a listener has an idea here. I I don't I mean I guess one thing yeah. people might do is capture the email address right away if you can. Yeah, what what's interesting is you have a very like self-serve sales motion for a product that is traditionally sold through multiple phone conversations. Mm-hmm. And so like your competitors are are focused on like converting people on the website as leads, um capturing like identifying them and then like running multi multi campaign attribution through the whole journey. Yeah. You don't care about them until they become a customer. Yeah. I mean, we care about them, but they're, they're I mean, low value enough like, that we're not doing a sales yeah, call with them. Well, yeah. And you're not like actually like tracking them as a person, like mm-hmm. an identifiable person until they create an account. Yeah. So I could try to like get them to give me their email address or phone number or something earlier on, like a, you know, hey, you read this blog post, fill out this thing. I think even that's tough, though, because a lot of these places they're seeing us, I think, just talking to people, it's G2, it's Captera, um, it's CRM.org. It's sites where we don't we don't have the ability to capture anything from them until they click the link, and they aren't necessarily clicking the link. Yeah, I guess, uh, um, I don't know. I just, it seems like there's, either, there's, there's some buyer journey that's per, like re- repeatable um, and, and happening over and over again. Sure. And so you should be able to look at like, the, the data uh, in pockets and say, oh, like when we do a lot of that, it leads to this over time. When, you know, when we did that in January, uh, in December, you know, this happened. Um, yeah. You, if you have the data, you should be able to like draw some conclusions, I think. 
I'm uh, that sounds right. And that's kind of where my head's been at this whole time until recently. But it's just like there's such a long delay. And it's not like you can't be like for the next 18 months, we're only going to try one thing. Um, so I'm actually kind of becoming a bit of a heretic here and saying, like, fuck all that data driven stuff. Like, I'm becoming like a brand marketing believer all of a sudden where so for every here's some numbers I do know for every I'll, I'll use Google AdWords as an example. I'm just kind of using rough numbers, but I think these are approximately correct for every person who pays us. There were about four other people who signed up for a free trial and didn't pay us for every one of those five people. There are, I think, 50 to 100 people hit our website that didn't sign up for a free trial. So they clicked the link. For every one of those, I think there's something like a thousand impressions on Google. Now, do they actually see the ad? I don't know. But for every one person who pays us, there's something like 5,000 people or whatever the math comes out to that got some kind of an impression of less annoying CRM. And so this is kind of my leading hypothesis here of, I think that there's a lot of benefit that is not being measured in this traditional performance marketing model. And when people say you need a 12-month payback period... It's not factoring in all of those other impressions that you got that you that you aren't attributing to the the cost. Yeah, that 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 yes, a thousand percent. Um, so now what I hate about this is okay, so like what you just spend endlessly on tons of stuff with ha- having no idea if any of it works. I don't know, but vaguely the direction we're going right now is like I just want a lot of like when people are looking for a CRM, I want to be there. Yeah, that's I mean, I love it. Um so I might have yeah, more. But, up- but you're also gonna like, you know, Try to monitor the things that you're doing and the costs mm-hmm. and the cost that you're spending and, and and the impact of those things and the ROI of those things in aggregate. Yeah. And if it's if it's directionally right, you're not going to worry about the new like the penny pinching. But um, you know, if something's clearly you know not working, you're not going to keep spending that on that. Hundred percent. So let me give you a, sp- a specific example of that. Um, two different ad channels. One is software advice. Software advice is a pay per lead thing where people call up. Software advice gets people on the phone that want to buy CRMs and then they kind of match make. They say, hey, we'll put you in touch with three CRMs and we're one of them. There's no impressions for less CRM aside from the people that we pay for. There's no other impressions. Mm-hmm. So we know what, like, what the kind of surface area of the opportunity is. Compare that to Google AdWords where it's like, well, potentially a ton of people saw the ad or maybe Captera is a better example. Potentially a ton of people see us on Captera. The name lodges in their brain, but they didn't click the link. So Captera has a lot more of this unknown magic potential than software advice does just as one example. And so we're, we're trying to kind of look at all the channels and guess at how much magic there is and kind of add a multiplier on top, top of what we're willing to pay based on that. That's interesting. Cool. Um, so I know I already talked a lot, but this segues into the product hunt launch, if you don't mind me continuing. Yes, okay, so keep going, keep going. Okay. So like, what do I want to get out of product hunt? Like the new theory is the buying journey is long. It requires many touch points. I don't expect many people on Product Hunt to like go sign up and pay immediately, but if thousands of people see it, is it possible that dozens of them a year and a half from now will have eventually completed their buying journey? And who who knows how many people are going to Product Hunt typing in CRM every day and looking at what what's available on Product Hunt from a CRM perspective? Yeah, um, exactly. So I can show some numbers on the Product Hunt thing. As of right now, we have 17 free trial signups from that. I'll talk more about the actual product hunt launch itself in a second, like what we did, but 17 trackable signups. We got 100. I actually haven't checked in the last week or two, maybe a couple more trickled in, but something like 178 upvotes. For perspective, like 
it resets every day. Do you know how Product Hunt works? Like at midnight Pacific time, they kind of reset the counter. So basically, it's a daily competition. You, you, the idea is you post yourself at midnight uh, if you're doing it carefully. Um, you get as many upvotes as you can, and you want to be in the top few ranked for that day. It's kind of like Google search results. No one sees number five. They see one, two, three, or whatever. So the idea is get as many upvotes as you can, presumably mostly from your friends and customers and stuff, not from strangers. That bumps you up, and then the strangers see you if you get high up. We were ranked like number 10 or something on the day. So we never really got that high. That led to about 17 signups that we can track. And then who knows how many of these unattributable, uh, unattributable ones there are out there. Yeah, interesting. So, have you like ever read about how to do a product hunt launch? No. It's like it's we're so focused on Utah. It's just not a strategy we would employ. Um, yeah. I think so, it wouldn't be good yeah. for like up health anyway. Yeah. But for... It's kind of got the Groupon problem where like everyone's a tire. Like, why does anyone spend time on Product Hunt? I, I, it's a stupid product, in my opinion. Like, you just want to learn about launches. It's just like reading press releases. It's a feed <laughs> of press releases, basically. But I don't know. People use it. Um, it's a cool tool discovery place. Um, and then also inspiration place for uh, ideas. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I haven't I don't subscribe to Product Hunt today or or go to the website the only reason i went to the website in the last six months was because you uh posted about it on linkedin yeah well i appreciate that thanks for the support mm -hmm. i'd say probably like the the product on audience is probably not the right fit for us like we're targeting kind of a lower like these are more tech people who are interested in the the meta game of products um which is not our customers it's probably a better option if that's not the case but the, the thing i don't like if, if other people are considering doing it, like we sent an email out to 25,000 people and said, hey, you know, we kind of acknowledged, we're like, this is a pain in the ass. You don't need to do this. But if, if you're a big Less Annoying CRM fan, like here's a solid you could do us go up, go because you have to sign up for an account and upvote 25,000 ish, 25,000 ish people, 178 upvotes. You got to have a big fucking audience. And we are still ranked number 10, right? Yeah. You get, you've either got to have a big audience or an audience of people who already have product hunt accounts and really like upvoting stuff to get high enough for this to really be a meaningful marketing channel, I think. Yeah, interesting. Now, having said that, if you're the type of person who's, let's say you've already got a bunch of Twitter followers that you can send over there and you're just getting started, if you really are launching your first product, it's like maybe those 17 signups would have been... I mean, a, that would be a huge deal for a company that currently has zero customers. Did, he, did you get any paid users out of this or just 17 it, free trials? It wasn't. It was less than a month ago, so it's hard to say if anyone will pay yet. But um, I don't think anyone who signed up then has logged in in the last couple of days. So probably we might get one or two, but we're not getting many paying users out of this. Okay. Interesting. So, so that's my, you, uh, would you do this again, knowing what you know now, or would you not um i'm i'm not I, do, I definitely don't regret that we did it i'm glad we did it i think it will probably have some benefit to us but the the reputational capital it costs of like asking everyone like you said i posted on linkedin for the first time in a year i wrote a twitter thread we emailed our whole newsletter you can only do that every so often before you kind of burn all your reputation um mm -hmm. so i don't regret doing it because i didn't have a better idea of how to use that that ca reputational capital but i wouldn't say that this is like I don't know if it was worth the effort and all that, but it was, it, I don't know. It was close enough that I'm not upset we did it, certainly. 
and I, I got to give a shout out to Eunice, our marketer, because she really did the the vast majority of the work here. And the, I think she did a great job. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it, I, I, I like, you didn't reach out to me directly about this, but I saw it multiple times, like pop up in my feed. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. Again, who knows how many new people saw this for the first time? It's hard mm-hmm. to say. Um, so anyway, and the, the, the redesigns launch, which is exciting. So I like the new website a lot. Oh, thank you. The, yeah. the, the marketing site is kind of mostly unrelated to the, the redesign, although our positioning did just change. I really like the positioning is what I'm trying to say. Okay, cool. Um, thank you. Less knowing CRM promises three things. No other CRM can emphasis <laughs> on no other CRM. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, we talked about this in the last episode, I think, or, or maybe two episodes ago. But yeah, it's uh, it's actually our conversion rate went up a little bit when we launched this new positioning too. So not, like not, not a lot, but a little. Anyway, I've been talking a lot. What's up with you? Um, well, I've been really busy at uh, my day job at Windfall. And so I've been trying to get a bunch of stuff done uh, so that I can take pater- a healthy paternity leave. <laughs> um, and then Is also- that a good forcing function for you? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I've, I don't know that. Um, I don't. I don't know that I've necessarily done anything I would have done differently. Um, but I, I think like I'm building instead of building things that are dependent on me, I'm building things that are dependent on on anyone. Um, yeah. Or or not, not dependent on anyone in some cases, just automating things. So yeah, it definitely affects like how I approach tying off a project. Where sometimes you'd be okay with a little bit of like manual work. It's just. Or if it's a little bit more complex, you just go, nope, can't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make it simpler. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's been really busy. Um, the Probably the biggest milestone since the last uh, podcast is that JD has taken over um, the monthly update process. And uh, I don't know if we talked about this on the last podcast. I don't think we did. Yeah. But, can, can you explain what the, what the monthly update involves? So at Leg Up Health, there's a month, like one of the core things that we do for our customers um, is, uh, you know, 90% of our clients uh, at Leg Up Health are, uh, don't have a health insurance issue that they need help with in a given month. So part of what we're, we, we offer them is peace of mind that we're keeping an eye on their policy to make sure it's up to date. Um, they're, you know, they're using it correctly. Uh, it, the payment is, is not uh, past due. And so we send a monthly email, uh, just kind of con- confirming uh, the stat the status of our clients' policies to every every person. And um, we now have I think 115, 116, 120 some clients. And I don't I don't know. I, I, I signed up a lot of the original people, but I don't know any of these of the, of the new clients. And so when I would log in once a month to help construct this monthly update, which I was responsible for. It's really like starting from zero and like going, what is going on? Plus, as you have come to know, I have I built a very manual, fake uh, software product uh, to make this happen, and so JD has taken that on. And so what what it means is like now it's it's just like I I meet with JD once a week, and there's literally nothing in the business that is dependent on me in a given month. So if I if I wanted to just not work on like a health, I actually could now, and JD is truly running the show. Um, now the, that, that brings up an interesting question, which is, well, well, now that that's not something I have to do, what, like, what should I be spending my time on? And we've talked, uh, we, you know, for, for, if you, if you haven't heard Tyler joined leg up health as a partner, um, and has been, um, building our new application out, but we, as part of joining as a partner, we created a new monthly partnership cadence, 
Um, and I, uh, you know, I brought this up at our last partner meeting and I was just like, what, 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 you know, should I be doing? And, and ge- the general, uh, the two things that I'm, I've been working on since that meeting have been one, you know, trying to get positioning to a place where it's good enough to launch, um, uh, with our new broader positioning to small business owners. Um, and I think we're on track to get that done for, uh, and before the baby comes. And then after that happens, it's basically just generate demand, like be a rainmaker. And so I'm excited about that. But it, but it, there's a, like Up Health has a different feeling for me now that I'm not like every, at the end of every month, hitting this big deadline on this big project that I have to figure out. I, obviously, we haven't seen the results of this yet, but I, I think there is, assuming this goes well, there's a lesson to be learned here that I've learned about myself so many times, which is just like, there's such a difference between spending time working on the things you're good at. There's a huge overlap between things you're good at and things you love doing for most people. And like as an entrepreneur, if you find yourself spending a lot of time on something that like isn't one or both of those things, it's not great for the business. If you're putting a bunch of time into something that's just not your wheelhouse. And I I can't wait to see demand generations. That's your wheelhouse. And, Mm -hmm. you know, finally, like, You've been doing a lot of, you've been spending a lot of time on something that anyone could do. Yeah. Well, right? I don't know about that. I don't know about anyone, but um, okay. you start, like, like you've taken um, uh, stuff off my plate too with the product development stuff. JD's taken the the customer service piece here and like the fake product product stuff. And um, it's just, man, it's just interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I'm excited. I, I think uh, I got to get this baby thing, you know, taken <laughs> care of. Um, but like, I think, you know, by, you know, August 1st, we're going to be pretty much focused on growing heading into the busy season, which is way ahead of schedule of any, like any time like a pelt. And then also any time at my previous company, people keep uh, how, with how prepared we are. Was, was open enrollment a big deal at people keep? Oh yeah. It's very seasonal business. Okay. Um, I just, uh, cause you didn't sell insurance there. No, but the, it, it, the product was, was, was primarily the funding source for insurance. So insurance yeah. cycles drove the buying process. Interesting. Um, cool. And then, you know, the kind of the big update that, that I haven't shared yet on the podcast is that April was a record month for us. I think we were um, like 7,000 in revenue, something like that, uh, which awesome. is pretty cool for a monthly revenue. It's like a real business. I, yeah. I In my head, I'm still like, this is just getting off the ground. And I mean, it is in a lot of ways, like it can't support like you and JD or, or even just JD, but like, $7,000 MRR is a pretty legit business. It got bumped a little bit. I should be transparent with like this one. We got this unexpected one-time bonus um, due to like hitting certain thresholds. Oh, because um, the insurance agencies have all these like, if you satisfy something, yeah. And we didn't even, we weren't expecting it. So it'll go back down to like five or six K, but it's like six, five or six K now, like recurring, yeah. which is real. And if we can get to 10 K going into next year, um, it's very real. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. I guess I'll take the ball back. Uh, so Tori, our designer, who's been with Less Knowing Serum for a while, but kind of like she went through the coding fellowship where we teach people to code and then uh, came on as kind of like a designer apprentice. So she's been with us for a while, but like was training and, and just kind of learning the skills. Uh, but she helped a lot with this recent redesign and and now that she's more experienced, is very, very productive for us. She had like left for a while, 
because uh, she's one of our few remote people and wanted to go like see if she could find an in-person job because just sick of the isolation of remote work. Anyway, dot, 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 she's back. Uh, or at least as of June 6th, she'll be back um, and upping her hours a little. So we're going to have her for 30 hours a week, which is more than we've had her for. Wow. For as long as she's been like experienced. Um, so yeah, we're about to have like meaningful design resources kind of for the first time ever. When I look at your new website, who designed a lot of the images on that website? So that's, if you look at the marketing site, that's mostly Eunice, our marketing person. Really? Um, yeah. She is not a designer. I think she has, for a person who's not a designer, she has great design instincts. I think if like someone who's, I don't think Rick, you have a, an eye for design. I hope I'm not <laughs> insulting you there. Um, I think she, Eunice can make designs that look very good to someone like you. Someone who's a little more of a snob about it would look at that and be like, this is not a polished website. Um, so Eunice can get us to that level. And then like Tori could take it to the next level. I think these images that like I have, have blurbs on them and like colored text, like that's Eunice. Yep. Wow. I mean, she's a full stack marketer. Like yeah. she does data stuff. She writes the copy. She handles all our web flow hosting, does email marketing. I mean, she, she does everything. So that's cool. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's really good. It's, it's actually when you think about like, like, you know, back in the day I did all that stuff and it's like, it is kind of like a founder uh, skill set. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, just whatever needs to get done, get it done. You're saying I don't have a, a good design eye, and it did not hurt my feelings, but it, it frustrates me. I will say that. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know. It, it's not even that it's not a good design eye. It's that you're not up your own ass about design. I want to be. Like, I want to have a beautiful site like this. Yeah. Um, it's not, not for lack of wanting. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, Rick. <laughs> I don't either, to be. Like, I, I think I, I have more than you do, but... As if I'm a de- I'm a designer in a way that you're not, and I still, I mean, until a couple of weeks ago, less knowing CRM looked like it was made by a kindergartner. So uh, <laughs> I'm also not where I want to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just I, I don't really have any much else to say about. But starting June fifth or whatever, I said uh, Tori will be back, and I, th- I also with our redesign finishing. I think we're going to, for the first time ever, our designs will be ahead of our developers. <laughs> like there are so many times where a de- we give a developer a project and we're like, okay, we don't have the second half of this designed yet. So just start working on it and we'll get that. T- I think we'll actually be able to like have full designs, you know, every screen you need. No one's going to have to be like, hey, what happens if you click this button? You didn't design that part. <laughs> um, so I'm pretty excited about that. That's awesome. And what, what, um, what is everybody working on right now? What is the like out after, outside of the redesign? What is the the stuff that's coming in the pipe? So there's still a ton of work to do on the redesign, and this is another thing. Like my opinion is, you ship something like this as soon as it's better than the old version, not as soon as it's done. So I bet we've still got another three months on the redesign for the full stack people. For that's three of the developers, um, and then. We're st- we're kind of working on the last few projects of our AP- our new API. We launched a new API earlier this year, but like it doesn't. We just finished OAuth. I don't I don't know if you know what that means, but a certain way to authenticate with API. We're about to start working on webhooks, just kind of making the API better and better. So those are the kind of current two projects. That's interesting. That's cool. Any other updates on the API thing? Um, any more people partners? Um. No, we, we we have like a trickle of partners who build integrations and stuff. But I do think that so far, the API project has been more... So as a reminder for anyone listening, we built the API partially to make our... Like we wanted to get more integrations, more people to integrate with us so we can be more like a platform. 
there's two benefits to that. One is the more integrations we have, the better the product is for our customers. The other one is every person who integrates with us, if they have customers, they might send, we're sending more customers to them than they are to us, obviously, because that's why they build the integration, not us. But we were hoping if we get enough of these, they send customers to us. We've not really seen signs of that happening. Um, but it's a nice, it's great to have a growth project that even if the growth part doesn't work, it still makes the product a lot better. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and it, it is a lot, a lot better. <laughs> are you, um, so would you say that you're focused, like the company is primarily focused on growth right now? Like if, if, if someone's building something, it's like, how's this going to contribute to growth? Yeah. But in a, I would say in a calm way, we're not like, we're not like sprinting, sprinting. A year ago when I was talking about this, we were still on a downward trajectory and I was like, I don't know how low this can go. Mm. Um, and it, it felt a lot more desperate. Now it's like, it seems to have bottomed out and we're actually, we're not trending up quickly. I'd like it to be faster, but, and we're not, we're, we're kind of burning a little bit of money right now, but we could go for a decade or something like that before we run out of money. So we're kind of slowly, calmly focused on growth, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good. Um, but yeah, we are we are about to uh, with the growth update I gave earlier. We are about to like restart investing a lot more in AdWords and all, all those channels that we we already spent a little bit on all of them. But we are going to just be like, if if people use this channel to buy CRMs, we're going to put pay some money. <laughs> yeah, we're going to make it rain <laughs> uh, and try and get in front of people. Obviously, our competitors make it rain a lot more than we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just got to be be careful not to throw money away. Um, yeah, for sure. It's really interesting at Leg Up Health. Um, we we spend fifteen hundred dollars a month on AdWords um, clicks, primarily targeted uh, at Utah health insurance queries. Um, towards the end of every month, we see a ton of traffic start to pick up because uh, of the deadline for to get coverage starting the first of the next month. Um, and so I'm I, I can't decide, but I think I should like turn the budget off in the first like two weeks of the month and then just like double it the last two weeks. I don't want to give, I know I'm very open about almost everything, but this is such a competitive thing where if you give your strategy away, someone yeah. else can copy it. So I'm not going to say the specifics, but I, we do that with one of our channels. Yeah. I, I, I do you think that's, that makes logical sense though. Um, yes. And another thing, so we do it for a different reason for me. Obviously no one's trying to buy a CRM by the end of the month, the way they're trying to buy health insurance, but competitors spend their marketing budget. That's what we've found is some people run out and then the cost per click goes down later in the month. <laughs> yeah, um, that's great. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it's a pretty minor optimization, but uh, every little bit counts. Yeah, especially in low bu budget numbers. Um, cool. Yeah, like it's uh, it's interesting. On the growth theme, um, one of the the projects that we've been working on at Leg Up Health is we hired a marketing coach. And so I'm not actively working on any sort of demand gen activities right now outside of letting the AdWords run. But we uh, were working through this positioning exercise. And as part of the positioning exercise, JD every week is trying to get five or six uh, customer interviews in place. And we're targeting small businesses for this exercise. We kind of figured out the consumer business. And now we're trying to break into the, the employer business. Um, we had some really good calls lately, man. Like uh, one... We, we had a hypothesis that startup founders and professional service firms were going to be our target customer, um, our ideal customer. And we're finding that CPAs are actually the ones that are, are perfect for us. Not only are CPAs 
very stable small businesses at like five, six, seven, eight employees, they serve other small businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually awesome. locally. So there's a local influence. Yeah. And if they refer, it's such a trusted re- advisor refer that there's like, it's like, it's a slam dunk sale. Like, yeah. A business has a CPA and a lawyer, basically. Those are the two outside counsels they go to for help on stuff. Exactly. And so um, we're, we're learning that uh, within professional services, CPAs and, and tax advisors are our, spe- our financial advisors are our sort of s- s- sweet spot. Mm-hmm. They're super hard to win over, but because they have high expectations on service, like out of themselves, they actually expect more out of brokers and they are therefore let down more. I That's interesting. I also wonder, like you don't offer tax benefits yet, tax savings, right? We do with premium tax credits. With premium stuff. tax credit. Okay. Yeah. So- a conversation you and I have had a lot in private. I don't know if we've had it on this podcast, but you have a lot of clever ways to save people tax money when they buy health insurance. And my point is always, nobody understands how taxes work. They don't want to hear about taxes. That's not the pitch. And I still stand by that for the vast majority of people. But a CPA, I feel like, is going to get disproportionately excited about the ability to get around some taxes if they can. Yeah, and help their clients with it in particular. Yeah. Um so we're, we've we've had a couple of interviews with CPAs lately, and they're turning into clients. And they're they're actually, it's interesting. They're they're the hardest interviews because they just they come in with this assumption that we're like this group broker who they don't trust. Mm-hmm. But then we quickly like by the end of the call, uh, it's just one eighty. Oh, I have a referral for you. Wow, that's awesome. Um, so there's some really strong uh, there, and and like I'm always scared to focus. But like this feels like something that if we just focused on CPAs, um, if let's say they have an average of five employees and we go get, um, you know, a hundred of these, we'd yeah. have uh, half a million dollars in revenue from just CPAs. Uh, and they would refer like just their, the, just their network alone would be right. enough to gr- double. So I'm bad at, estimating numbers. I mean, how many CPAs are there in the state of Utah? I don't know, but I think there's got to be at least a hundred. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. Like, how many, there's like a few million people in Utah. Is that right? Yeah. A few million. Okay. Yeah. That'd be, oh God, I, I don't want to do, this is like one of those old Google interview questions. Like how many marshmallows fit in a school bus? Like, <laughs> but we're really like CPAs tar- like serving other small businesses. Like it's, it's a subset of CPAs. Yeah. yeah it's not, okay. How many CPAs in Utah? And you're not going after like the giant firms. So no, there are 660,000 CPAs in the U.S. Okay. I would guess the majority work, either work at a big firm or like basically don't work at all. Um, probably in the like below 10% of them are kind of in your sweet spot here. Probably. Yeah. But, but I, and I'm thinking that like if we can just go find the two, like get JD a list of a thousand of these and he goes and converts 10% of them into customers over the next year, like... Yay. Yeah. So something like one in a hundred people live in Utah. And if there's six, you said 600 something thousand CPAs. So that's something like 6,000. Am I doing that math right? Um, CPAs in Utah, presumably. And then if let's say 5% of them are in your sweet spot. Yeah. We're, we're talking about a pretty good number of people there. Mm-hmm. Cool. I like it. Um, so, so that's a, that, that's a pretty exciting thing. And the, the other thing I'm liking about this is that, uh, it's all JD driving it. It's not me doing interviews and then sort of like trying to educate him. He's like doing it and then synthesizing it to me. 
And I feel like he is he his pace of 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 entrepreneurial learning and execution is accelerating, which I didn't know was possible at this mm-hmm. stage. But like, I, I, I it's it's actually pretty inspiring. And then also, um, I think he's enjoy like getting value out of it uh, that what wasn't there before um, when he because he joined kind of after the first yeah. initial interviews. That's awesome because I do think at a startup. You can't normally pay, you know, you're not competing with big tech companies in terms of pay. There's sometimes longer hours, there's more uncertainty and more risk. And like a huge part of what makes up for it is that sense that you're learning, you're growing, you're you're doing interesting work uh, and finding a way to offer that to everybody you possibly can in the early days of the business, I think <clears throat> is hugely valuable. Yep. Cool. Um, all right. I- I've got a couple more topics. I'm just going to give the short one and then skip the next. Um, so we, oh, we'll talk about it next time. But the short one is, uh, so the Coding Fellows and one of our interns started uh, for mm. the summer. Um, so it's funny. Shelly, my wife, is a college professor. So right as students are leaving her, they're coming to me. And so our schedules are exactly opposite. Every time she wants to go for a, go travel, I'm like, nope, it's my busy season. Uh, but yeah, so things are Things are very busy teaching a bunch of people how to code and coming up with projects and all kinds of stuff. That's fun. Um, yeah. You, this is, you, you say every year, I think this is like the energizing part of the year for everyone. Move all the desks around. Is it, is it getting to the point where this isn't, this is just like a, another week for you uh, because you've done it so many times? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, it's certainly not just another week, but definitely some of the excitement is I don't think it's that it's gone. It's that it's shifted to other people. Like before, like it's like people I've only met in an interview six months ago, and I don't even remember what their faces look like, are going to walk in that door tomorrow, and I have to babysit them, for lack of a better term, for quite a while before they can go off on their own. <laughs> That's just a lot. You, it's so much prep work, all this stuff. Now it's much more like, well, Robert's got the interns and Eva's got the fellows. She like one of our developers is kind of like leading the fellowship and I'm in kind of the the support position. So I'm like, yeah, I've got to like sit in a lot of meetings and I've got to be present and and all that, but there was a lot less preparation. Um so I'd still say there's some excitement for me, but it's it's more handled by other people now. That's cool. Getting it's old. great though cuz like everybody like it used to just crush me. It's like lose a month of productivity and <laughs> I'm actually getting some other stuff done right That's now. That's awesome. Um, anyway, yeah, there's probably not much to talk about there though. Um, so I got an email from a listener who I won't name because I'm not sure if this is a topic you would want, uh, attributed to him, but, um, just like, uh, like an hour before recording this, he emailed me and asked a question that I thought we could talk about uh, on the podcast, which is, Basically, how do you deal with kind of the, so everyone says entrepreneurship has ups and downs. Like, how do you deal with the downs? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you lose a deal, a big customer churns, an employee quits, growth just isn't looking the way it's supposed to. Um, I realize this is a broad topic, but let's maybe see if we can get anywhere with this. I guess I would just say, is it any different than dealing with any other type of like frustration? I guess the the big difference is that uh, with entrepreneurship, it becomes part of your identity. And, um, it's like this thing that you can't control, um, like you can your behavior. Um, and it's, it's this thing that it becomes, comes to define you. And then how do you like sort of every time I find myself, I guess I mentioned the question, every time I find myself in lows of entrepreneurship, I have to, I find myself either like getting unhealthy 
like the way I, I, I first deal with it is unhealthy and I try to work more. Um, and that's like, usually that leads to like a cycle that is not good. And it eventually hits you and you're like, oh, this is something I need to do, do about. And the, the way that, that it always works out for me is no matter what the situation is, is that it turns into a recentering exercise. And it almost always involves separating my identity from the, the business and saying, no, I am Rick the person. I am Rick uh, the family man. I am Rick uh, who can do anything and I can go get another job if I want to. And it, it's almost like removing the, the pressure of, of, of it being successful for purposes of my identity. But that does not remove the pressure of like taking care of people if you have employees or right. that. So that still exists. Um, and and I, I don't know how to like deal with that stuff other than just to be real and um, well, try to well, let take me care pause of myself you before you dive into that. So, because I, I think you just said something really insightful, but like, let me rephrase it to, to like how I'm hearing it is there's kind of two, when your business has lows, there's two problems. One is perceived and one is real. The real problems is like, I'm going to have to fire somebody mm. or I personally can't support my family or whatever. And maybe we'll put a pin in that and talk about that in a minute. But a lot of them are fake. Or not that's, fake. that's a great point. Like, yeah, the things you were talking about is, do you feel a sense of shame? Do you feel, oh, I could be more than this or whatever? And it's like, you're fine. <laughs> when you're an entrepreneur, you set goals, especially a bootstrap entrepreneur. The goals are arbitrary. Like, I mean, in some cases, they're like life or death goals. Um, but like for the most part, like the difference between hitting a goal and not hitting a goal is like how you like feel. Like, yeah, it's not like and and so. Choosing to look at things differently is like a big part of dealing with the downs. Yeah. So maybe let's talk for a second about experiences we've had and, and tricks we've used. Well, one thing that comes to mind for me with this, um, when I went to Founder Summit last year, I uh, was carpooling with somebody who, um, I forget the specifics, uh, nor should I share them publicly anyway, but he's running a business with like a couple employees and they're making enough money to support everybody. You know, they're in the I don't know, five to 15,000 MRR, I'm guessing. Um, it's not like crushing it, but pretty good and full-time work and stable. But he, he was kind of like, you know, why, why is it so hard to grow? We're not growing faster. He was around all these other entrepreneurs who were making much more than him. And he was just feeling really inadequate. And I remember kind of saying like, you know how many people would kill to start a business that got to where yours is? And he thought about that and he's like, that, you're right. When I started this, I didn't even want this. I just wanted to make a little extra money in addition to my job. And now I don't even have that job because I'm supporting myself full time. And I think just A, appreciating like how good it is to be a modestly successful entrepreneur relative to anything else. That doesn't help if you're not even modestly successful. But if you are modest, like that's a, I think that's a good way to reframe stuff. Yeah, gratitude is a powerful thing. Being grateful for the for what you have done and accomplished. Yeah, I like that. And just remembering what the alt like. I've never hated a job. I've liked all my jobs, but being your own boss is better than any job. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I I can give an example of of like. I I feel. Uh, like I'm not contributing a ton right now at Leg Up Health. And I always like, I mean, I work at a, at a, at a highly successful venture backed company with lots of money and, and, and revenue, a high growth rate. Like, it, and it's, it's pretty demoralizing to compare. If I were to compare Leg Up <laughs> Health to that business, 
it's demoralizing. And so I, I, I think like there, there, there are pros to every con. And mm-hmm. so if you can figure out like, I mean, what I'm building with you and JD is something that like I get a significant amount of non-monetary value from. And I focus on that. Like the fact that I get to have a podcast with you, the focus, the fact that I get to have a partner meeting with you every month, the fact that like we're helping people, like I get focused on the things that like are the, tra- are the, the things that I get to do, they, which is the gratitude piece um, uh, and, and worry less about like the comparison stuff. Yeah. And I think that segues the thing we put a pin in of like, well, sometimes it is actually, it's not just a perception thing. It's a big deal. But you talked about how if you compared leg up health to windfall, your day job, you'd feel very inadequate. At the same time, when windfall, I, I, I know nothing about windfall's business or how y'all are doing or anything like that. But like, if a company like windfall has a problem, it's existential. It's we raised a bunch of money for investors and we could go out of business because we're not default alive. If we do go out of business, we have to lay off dozens or hundreds of people and our investors, like th- there's so much more pressure on you. I do think like one of the benefits of running a bootstrap business and like a calm company is it shifts a lot of things from like life and death to perception. It's like if you can get to that default alive, all of those problems just become a matter of of pride instead of a matter of survival. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then like, I, I'm, I'm, I agree with you hundred percent. And I'm, I was thinking about like default alive. Like I feel like it's a, it, it's, it, it, it's this really nice thing, but it's so easy once you get it to get greedy and want more. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I experience this all the time with my, with less than serum. How much of that do you think is baked into this question? Is it like greed driven versus like perform? Like there's like I don't, there's like hey I I wanted this and I I, I got greedy <laughs> I'm now greedier and I want more versus no, like I, what I wanted originally isn't f- like actually happening. I don't think the person asking this is is doing it with from a place of greed. I, I think a lot of startups right now are experience. You know, uh, even if whatever recession may or may not be happening, it it, it doesn't seem like there's like a reset a global recession going on right now. A lot of industries are tightening their belts with the higher interest rates and all this other stuff. A lot of companies are, their growth is slowing in a pretty meaningful way. And I think it's more that where it's like, yeah, you know, a, a modest like success kind of slowly growing would be fine, but maybe it's not even that. Yeah. And I, I guess where I, where I was going with this was was less about this individual, more about like, in if you are, are trying to evaluate like something and how you feel about it. Are you beating what you set out to do, or are you failing to do what you set out to do? That yeah. would like be a very like important thing to to check. And like, it's very easy like to when you have successful to like stretch yourself, especially if you're a high achiever, and mm-hmm. go, oh, well, I know I said that was the goal, but like, here's a new goal. Here's a new goal, and um, you know, separating those two things. It's so hard though because that is healthy too, mm-hmm. right? Like, very few people who have the ambition to start a business are then like. Well, one of two things should be true. Either you have no interest in running the business at all, in which case just sell it and get out. (laughs) Or if you're still running it, presumably it's because you you get something out of running it and that's probably related to achieving the next milestone and stuff. So I think like a a healthy mental state for a founder is to to be able to see that next goal. Sorry, let me me give like a a weird anecdote from my childhood. I went to a school district that I, I really value the sports culture at the schools I went to because... 
we really tried. We practiced hard. We played hard. And we lost all the time. We just were, we were terrible. And I think like if I were to ever have a kid, not that you can necessarily force this, but I, I would wish the same thing for them. Get used to trying really hard and losing and enjoying the, the journey of trying because the, the alternative people who don't try suck. It's so boring, like playing a sport or playing a board game with someone who's like, I don't even care if I win. It's like, okay, this game's not fun anymore. <laughs> So like you have to try to win. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, it's true. Comp- competition is like fun. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Like, I I feel like um, a lot of this stuff. The 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 anecdote, the like the kind of the the the, the mental model for this is, you know, you pro- if you're feeling down about something and it's like really really bumming you out, it's probably a lack of sleep, nutrition, or exercise that you need to focus on. Because like literally the difference between a good day and a bad day is your attitude. And and you can change like the way you see a problem on la- a lack of personal health and a lack of sleep is like a boulder, hmm. uh, you know, uh, but, but when you're, you, you have a good, you know, sort of like baseline, it's a pebble um, in general, the same thing. There's just a drastic contrast between like how you perceive life when you're, um, when you're taking care of your, yourself. So like generally, like when I get into these ruts, like the, I, I have all these like fail safes in my life to try to catch me when I'm going down this like vicious cycle of, of negativity to try to get me to focus like on like, Oh no, just, just go sleep and just go work mm-hmm. out and just go, you know, stop drinking and, and, uh, and, and sleep. And then the next day I'm like, Oh, well actually this isn't a problem at all. That's really interesting. I'm glad you said that. And I'm glad we're talking about this instead of me just answering the email I got, because like that would not occur to me. Like I've just never not gotten enough sleep. My, my <laughs> reaction to like fear is to go to sleep. <laughs> when yeah, I was in college and I had a really hard test and I'm like, I'm not prepared for this, it'd be like, maybe a nap will help. <laughs> that's um, an amazing, like I, if you're, I wonder if your parents taught you that somehow, because like I have the exact opposite reaction. I like, I go into like planning mode and I, I stop sleeping. So to be clear, I'm not saying like, this is not healthy sleeping. This is, I, I've never suffered from depression, but it sounds like <laughs> when depressed people say they, they want to sleep, it's like, if I'm asleep, I can't deal, like, I don't have to deal with this if I'm asleep. It's pure avoidance. It's not like I need to take a break type sleep. Yeah, but it's a much healthier like coping mechanism than, than not sleeping. Yeah, I, yeah, probably somewhere in between is appropriate. But I know I'm glad you said that. So yeah, it could be your mental state now. But sometimes the reality is like there are problems, and like I'm potentially in this with less knowing serum right now. Like I'm not, I'm not too worried about our growth issues. But you could argue I should be right, especially if my thing about 2019 is true, and it's like we've been having growth problems for the last four years. Yeah. Like that's potentially pretty concerning. Uh, one of like I think I'm just in denial in a good way, which is, I'm just like, I have unlimited runway, not, not money runway, but just, I'm going to keep doing this until it works. I'm smart. I work with smart people. I don't know if this thing we're trying right now is going to work. And if it doesn't, we're going to try something else and that's going to work. And if it doesn't, I'm going to try another thing. And if that fails, maybe we'll start a new side project. It's gonna something's gonna work. I don't know. That is the that is the answer. I think it's just like um, if it's not this one, it's the next one, and uh, this journey is gonna get me to the next one. Is the the worst case scenario is that 
this thing fails and it leads to something else. That is the worst case scenario. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. I actually, yeah. Can I be a bit of a, a downer here for a second? Because yeah. I have a friend who started a um, startup and it was like successful-ish, but not like successful enough that like, I I don't know exactly how it ended. Did it get acquired? But if it was, it probably wasn't huge. I, I don't know exactly, but like it wasn't, I don't think he considers a success. But it's like, well, you've been a founder, you've raised money, you've got a bunch of things to put in your resume. Uh, he had a hard time getting the job he wanted after that. Hmm. And I think the reason is it's like, well, you don't know what it's like to work for anyone else. And we like, do you really want to hire a true entrepreneur <laughs> at a company? I always have told myself three, four, five years as a failed entrepreneur looks better on a resume than that same amount of time as like a successful software engineer working at Google. After this friend's experience, I am I am questioning that a little bit. You've done a lot of hiring at Windfall. What, what, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I had a. Uh, I think I think honestly, it has less to do with um, the person, the the the, the skill set, and more to do with the person's mindset. Like I've interviewed a few, like immediately leading founders, hoping that they would be like this person I could hire right away. And most of the time they were dealing with some serious mental health issues. Um, and it, it's not like, it, it's like about who they wanted to be. And so like their willingness to be the janitor um, and just like, you know, they, they, they wanted, to, I don't know, like when you're, when you're a founder of a two person company, it doesn't qualify you to be a VP at, at a, 200 person company. Yeah. And, and if, if you think it does, you're not going to get any job because <laughs> you, <laughs> you have an ego. And, and so I think like, I think the, the hardest part that I've noticed and I dealt with it too, um, is just like putting aside this ego that comes from being the head of a small thing. Um, obviously if it's something successful that gets to hundreds of employees, like that's a different thing. But if it's a, if it's a, if it's a sub five person sort of thing that uh, never really took off, never really made any money, there's always going to be questions around like what what can you do at a larger company, right? Um, and uh, it it, um, it it's I think it's a very hard transition to make if you're not willing to just sort of go into like an IC role um, or a, a, a kind of a first frontline manager role. That's interesting. Yeah, um, I realize that's. A bit of a tangent I just took us on, but I, it's it's interesting to say like this is the first th this is a step towards where you want to be. I agree with that, and I'm an eternal optimist. And also, I think the realistic answer is it'll for almost everyone listening to this podcast. We're all for the most part privileged, have a valuable skill set, will be able to find work and all that. It is possible that running a startup for ten years that's like sort of successful, but not successful enough. It is possible that that's not like the most direct path towards where you, where you'll ultimately end up, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I can tell you my opinion on this. Um, I believe that like these people who, who I've, who I ultimately did not hire, um, that fall into this category. Uh, I think that they have a tremendous amount of drive and skill and like if the, it, it's mostly ego, um, mm -hmm. and not like, like they're in their own way kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, but I don't know how, like, I, I think that they could, I don't know how you, how you deal with that. Um, it's hard. Yeah. I also, a, a situation that I'm thankful to not have to deal with, but like less knowing serum is big enough at this point that even if we like 
stopped growing in any meaningful way, but we could support the, just keep doing what we're doing. It's like, you don't, you don't shut down a 19 person company that's making millions of dollars a year. Maybe you find a different person to operate it or, you know, maybe you make changes, but it, it, it continues existing. I do, you see on Twitter and stuff, a lot of people who are like, kind of like you said, maybe a five person business that's like profitable enough. The founders are making money, but they're not, they're not making as much as they would at another job. They're still working really hard and it, at some, and they plateau and it's like, how long do you keep working like a founder of a startup without seeing that, that progress, but where you have some, it's easy if you don't have any traction, then it's easy, but yeah, I'm not looking for an answer from you, but it's it's hard. I I was thinking about that too. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, I remember, I think in relationships, uh, my dad always had this saying when I was in a relationship. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do with this relationship. Um, and he'd go, you'll know when you have a stomach full. And uh, like, you'll know. Like, And if if you don't know, it's not time. And at some point, it's going to be... Sorry, I'm not getting the... What does a stomach uh, full mean in this case? It means like you're done. You're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go to the next thing. And And if you have any doubt about it being time to leave, then it's not time to leave. I know a lot of people who have stayed in relationships, and I think I know people who have stayed in businesses longer than they should have. I'm not saying that, that you're saying not, I'm not saying any that that's not true. I'm saying that um, until you know, until you have that moment, like it's not you're not going to leave. So like, yeah, that's fair. So it's like it's just like this thing you have to like figure out. And, and now, if you want someone to come sit down with you and tell you like stop doing this, like. That's what therapy's for, um, to help you think through things. But like, yeah. but you're not going to listen to me if I tell you like, oh, that's a shitty business. You should stop <laughs> doing that. Like, in, in fact, that might have the opposite in, like mental impact of you like doubling down on it. Yeah, it's also I think probably the case for the examples I was thinking of. They probably did know. There's a difference between knowing and having the courage to act on knowing. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. We've noodled around here. Obviously, there's no right or wrong answer, but I like the, I love these conversations with you because it's like it just gets into the weeds of like semantic and debate, and I yeah. I love it. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if it's interesting to anyone else, but um, I I actually it makes me think too. So cool. Um, yeah. yeah I, to, what, what, how would you summarize? Just like like condense down everything we just said. Like, what are your takeaways from this? Uh, stay, take care of yourself mentally and uh, physically, um, so that you can approach problems with a, a, a rational mind. Um, you know, identify whether you're being irrational, um, when you're, uh, evaluating a down. Um, and then like when you aren't being irrational and it's a real problem, like deal with it sanely, like, and calmly. Yeah. Just one foot ahead of the other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then another, uh, I agree with all that. And the start to last mindset is turn as many of those real problems into perception problems as you can. The other thing that we we didn't say, and it's just like, I want to say it, is that you can avoid a lot of stress by creating buffer for yourself Mm. and, 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 and not getting so like in a situation where there is so much depending on uh, an unknown being successful. That's a great point. I, I know we're running up on time, but if I can give a little anecdote about less annoying serum here. Yeah. So I said we're burning money right now. Also, 
I, if you've been following this section, I, I, I forget what it is, the tax code thing. We're going to have probably a $250,000 tax bill above and beyond what we expected this year. Um, we're also starting to think about uh, if, if we want to switch billing providers from Stripe to Paddle, which is going to cost us tens of thousands of dollars a year. And all these things are hitting at once. And uh, I don't care because we got some money in the bank. <laughs> if we didn't have money in the bank, literally Less Annoying Serum might be on the verge of going out of business like today. If, if we were at break even, which we were in 2020, before the pandemic hit, we did not have any buffer because we were just like, every month is better than the last. Why would we Why would we save money? And then the pandemic hit and we were like, oh shit. But thankfully, it wasn't a big deal. It bounced back right away and we got PPP money. But that was the wake-up call that we needed Buffer. And if we didn't have Buffer right now, I think we might... I, I wouldn't be on this podcast because I'd be afraid to say we're going out of business. Mm. So I absolutely agree. Buffer is probably the answer to everything here. Well, um, if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, <laughs> visit startuplast.com. I'll see you next week, Tyler. We'll leave it at see that. Ya. Bye. <laughs>